you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to Jonah chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one in a seat, well, somewhere near you, in front of you, down uh, below whoever's sitting in front of you. Uh, and so we invite you to uh, grab one of those. Almost forgot my password here, which could be good, could be bad. Uh, depends on what I remember as I uh, wish to begin the message. Uh, but tonight, uh, today we uh, come to the end of uh, at least our study this time of, of this uh, story of, of Jonah. Uh, I hope that you have been encouraged. I've been encouraged by uh, some of the insights that uh, you have shared with me, that the Lord has spoken to you as our, in our time studying. Um, one of the things that I hope that we walk away from this and recognize that this uh, seemingly simple children's story is actually uh, tremendously simple in the way that it is expressed and yet profound uh, in the applications that we are able uh, and we ought to take from it. As we wrap up uh, again today, we uh, will begin our, we'll look at uh, Roman, excuse me, uh, Jonah chapter 4, and uh, we will um, uh, hopefully bring things together and have an orientation uh, that will help us as we move forward. Uh, Jonah chapter 4, begin our reading in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He, he sat under it in the shade till he, he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that, he might, that, the, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? and also much cattle, the word of our God. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come this day, we give thanks to you uh, for your promise of your presence, for the word which reveals to us both what you are like and what we are like. Fortunately, it also reveals to us what you are doing. And I pray that you, Lord, would be at work within us as we consider this word today. 
that you would open our hearts to receive uh, what you have chosen to reveal. Uh, you would open our ears to hear the words of wisdom that you recorded through your servant Jonah and open our eyes to see both you and ourselves that we may recognize both our need for change and what you are doing to bring about the change. Lord, strengthen us in your grace. Help us to rest upon it. May it be at work, even in us today. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. The great writer pastor A.W. Tozer famously said that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Kind of change the table a little bit. We have this idea that we study the theology just simply so that we would know more things about God. Uh, but what Tozer is saying is, while it's important that we know things about God, what we know about God is really what becomes the most important thing about us. Because what we know is what we do, what we do is what we trust. And so therefore to, to know God and to, to know about God shapes the way that we live our lives. Now, this is vitally important even as we come to this passage, because as we look at this uh, uh, passage once again today, one of the things that we need to see over and above everything else, behind uh, the, all of the drama that is taking place, that the story of Jonah is primarily about God. Just as all of the Bible, everything that is in it is primarily about God. Now, it's easy to miss because there's a lot of drama and we tend to identify with the different characters. Sometimes we identify with them as in we see what they're doing and we don't want to be like them. Sometimes we recognize that the whole point of revealing them is that we ought to see that we are like them and how we can no longer be like them. Uh, but it is always about God. It is about how God is at work in his people and then through his people uh, to a world that he has created and that he is redeeming, bringing to himself in order that he may bless the peoples of the world. And so as important as it is to, to see Jonah and to see ourselves in Jonah, as important as it is to, to recognize the other uh, other aspects of this story, what we need to recognize is that the, the Ninevites and uh, the storm and the whale and the sailors and even Jonah himself, everyone else that we focus on in this story is really a support player because it's God who himself is the star who wrote the script and who is directing all of the action, both in this story and in our lives day in and day out. And so again, as important as it is to, to see ourselves in Jonah and to see how God is at work in Jonah, what we need to do is to make sure that we don't neglect asking these important questions. What is it that we see about God in this story? And what is it that God wants us to see about him and how he is at work, how he interacts with his people? Because the answer to those questions are vital both to bring us encouragement and to open us to the transformation, the change that God has intent and that we are in need. And I think if we were to synthesize this, what we see here in the story of Jonah, and it's evident here in, these, in the, these, the words of this last chapter, is we see that God's passions, power, and persistent love is on display, and it pursues both those who belong to him and those that he is calling to him. 
that it pursues both you and it pursues the nations through you. Now, we begin with this as we, we see God's passion for the nation is, is in, call it imperishable. In other words, it doesn't go away. God, from the very beginning, has had a plan and desire to be known, praised, glorified among the peoples of every nation. In Psalm 46.10, we, we see that we're, we're told that the Lord says this, Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on all the earth. In other words, this is God's plan. This is what God's intent is. One, his mission, what he is doing, is making himself known to the peoples of the nation. When we see the book of Revelation in Revelation 15.4, kind of as we're looking forward, as John the apostle is writing, and he asks, and it begins with a question, who will not fear O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. In other words, God is calling and is going to redeem a people from everywhere throughout the earth, that people from every corner will worship and glorify him. God's heart for the peoples of the nations is not something that is an add-on, but it is part of his character. It's even expressed in the covenant that God made with his people that he was created a people. He created Israel. He's created the church through Israel in order to bless them and that they would be a blessing to the peoples of the nations. In fact, missiologist David Bosch, in a wonderful book that is called uh, Transforming Mission, has, has some insights that we ought to consider. The first thing that he says is this, is that missionary activity is not so much the work of the church as simply the church at work. He also says that mission is not just the work of the church, but it is an attribute of God. And as we consider that, the question is, do we, do we find that in the Scriptures? And the answer is absolutely. And I think that we, we see it evidence here in the story of Jonah, even as we do everywhere else. The evidence that God has a passion for the nations is that he called Jonah in the first place to go to this city, that, to these people who were in rebellion against him, who were against his people. And the whole purpose was that they would hear the message of who God is and the grace that is available to those who will humble themselves before God. That was the purpose for which Jonah was called. And that's what we see, particularly in, in chapter 3, that the response that God um, enabled the, the people to, to hear and, and to respond. And then we see that the perplexing response of Jonah to the heart of God. We see characteristics of God, and Jonah is very right when we look at this, and he's, Jonah says, I knew that you were compassionate. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew that you would have mercy. All things that we see about God because of the heart that he has for the nations. All things that Jonah knows about God that we claim that we ought to know. All things that unlike Jonah, that we ought to celebrate. Actually, Jonah should have celebrated them as well, and I do believe that at some point he did. I don't believe we'd have the book otherwise. But we see the heart and the nature of God expressed 
through his relationships, even to the nations, those who are not yet honoring him, because it is consistent with who God is, that he's calling people from every tribe and tongue. And, and so we can't look at this story of Jonah and divorce it from the call that God has for his church to be engaged in mission. And for the church to be engaged in mission means that you and I also need to recognize that we are to be engaged in mission. And so we see God's passion. We see his heart for the nations as we look at, the, uh, look at these verses. But we see something else too. We see what God is doing and how God is planning to make his name known throughout the earth, which is he raises up people, ordinary people, and uses them in extraordinary ways. People like you, like me, like Jonah. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever looked at the story and you wondered, why in the world did God sent Jonah? I mean, you know, kind of when I don't think about it, my, my instinct is, well, I guess he was the most qualified. Well, we've been through this for several weeks now. I assume it's safe to say there could have been somebody more qualified. If not, well, then Lord have mercy. Um, One of the things that we need to recognize is that the attributes of God that Jonah recognizes are true not only for the nations and for the people who are outside of, of God's family at this point in time. They're true for you and they're true for me. They're true within God's family. God is gracious and he is compassionate and he's slow to anger and he is abounding in love. You see, God had every right and had good reason to just go ahead and destroy Jonah. I mean, who reading the story by the time, you know, especially maybe at the end, but at the beginning, now we come to the end and just say, you know, who's going to blame God if God would have said at the end of the story, you know, after he talks about the cattle, you know, I have compassion, you, you have compassion for the plant, I have compassion on the city and even the cattle. And you know what? I'm done with having compassion on you, Jonah, you know, gave you a chance, gave you a second chance, you still don't get it, I'm done with you. And yet, instead what God says Ask this question. Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Now, Jonah's response is comical. I do have a right. And he says it over and over and over again. But we can't miss the fact that Jonah warrants rejection but receives grace. And it's an illustration of what God is doing not just in the life of this one prodigal prophet, but in the lives of every person who belongs to God. See, every one of us is in need of transformation. We are in need of renewal. We are in need of, of our relationship with God being restored and deepened, and that through that relationship to be transformed, to be who God has created us to be, to be the people who are able to experience the fullness of the life that God has given to us. Which means becoming the people that God is going to use. Because we find our fullness, we find our joy in doing and being what God created us to be. 
And one of the things that we see in this story is this, is that just as the Bible teaches over and over and over again, that if God's love rests on you, it's not going to leave you alone and it's not going to leave you the same. In fact, it would be contrary to the very nature of God. One of the images that the Bible refers to, uh, that God likens himself to, is as a fire. In Hebrews uh, 12, 29, uh, the writer says that our God is a consuming fire. And he's bringing to bear the images of, of several Old Testament passages, particularly just think of Exodus 24, 17. To the Israelites, uh, the glory of the Lord looked like it was a consuming fire on, on the mountain. I mean, that was, that was what they were able to see, that God is, is like a fire. In Deuteronomy 4.24, uh, it says, For the Lord your God is like a consuming fire. He is, uh, he, he is he, he's likened to a fire, and his love is like a consuming fire. In other words, to experience God's love is to be consumed and be, to be uh, affected by the fire. Fire is a really interesting imagery here, and fire is a, is a strange thing because fire has properties that at the same time uh, both give warmth and, and, and life through, uh, through, the, through the heat, and on the other hand, it is life-threatening and is able to take life, and, and both are true of, of the very same element. And that's part of what Jonah didn't understand. And what Jonah didn't understand is also true for many of us, is that we may know intellectually, but we, we, we relate to God only as if fire has only the, the giving warmth property, but that it is not dangerous and that it is not, therefore, have an effect on us. It just brings comfort to us. So Jonah liked that comfort idea, but the idea that fire would be dangerous, that it could be life-threatening, and in fact is a purifying entity. That part Jonah wasn't so keen on. He wasn't conscious of it. He probably was able to express it theologically, but he, he, he wasn't really open to it being at work within his own life. But the question is, are we? Are we open to it? Do we recognize how God is often at work? Because God's love is a matter of extremes, and God's love is both a refining, purifying fire, and God's love is as a, a life-seeking and a life-giving fire. Both. God doesn't bring the warmth without also bringing the change in those that he loves. And this story is a story that illustrates for us the way that God brings transformation. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, is do we really want God's love? Because we need to recognize God's love is like a fire. We will not get the warmth without also getting the power. We see it borne out here in part of the interplay. Jonah is angry that God has mercy. And while God could have rejected Jonah, 
instead he enters into not only a discussion, but through his acts of, of providence, in order for Jonah's heart to be engaged, to perhaps be exposed, not to God, because God's already aware, but exposed to Jonah himself. We see it kind of take, starting off in, in verse 6. Jonah's already, you know, being somewhat petulant, and, and we're told that the Lord's response is the Lord appointed a plant. Some of the translations will say that God provided a plant, but they, you know, the provision, God's provision, God's act of providence is part of the way he appoints things. He appoints things and he gives them through providence. And it's interesting because we see three times that that word is used in, in this passage. He appointed or, or he, he provided uh, something for Jonah. In this case, it was the plant. The plant grew up and it provided shade in a very uh, desert-like place. Uh, where there wasn't a lot of shade, it brought comfort, and with Jonah, it also brought him uh, pleasure. We're told that the, the plant made him happy. And then the next day, the Lord provided. He appointed uh, a worm that would eat of it, and the, the plant withered. And so what we see in this real short interplay is that God provided something that brought comfort, brought something that, and the, and the comfort something that Jonah took joy, and then God provided that it be taken away. And that's really is a, a perplexing thing that we we see here. Why in the world would God do such a thing? Why would God give him something that brings him joy and bring him comfort and then take it away? Well, one of the things that we need to recognize is that God doesn't provide for us and then take things away as an expression of punishment. He does it in order to expose, to bring the transformation. He does it as an expression of his love. We tend to think that it's like a punishment. I remember when our kids were very young, they wanted um, the video uh, game set up. I don't remember if it was Xbox or, or whatever it was. And we didn't think it was a good idea. And there were probably two reasons. One, it was we didn't have a lot of money then and we weren't going to buy one. And then second is we just thought they could be doing other things. It's not that we had an opposition to them engaging in video games, but we realized, particularly for our oldest, you know, if we buy this, he might likely give himself to this. And so we just said, no, we're not going to do that. You know, can't have one. We just neglected to tell the grandparents. And so Christmas came. And here we have this elaborate video game system that we weren't going to buy, both out of principle and lack of finance. And so we thought, well, what are we going to do with this? We were told what it was. We're not going to give the grandparents gift. We, you know, and so what I just said in a moment of, I don't know, wisdom or petulance, I'm not sure which, but I just said, let's go ahead and give it to them because it's one more thing we can take away when they're misbehaving. See, that's an illustration of giving something in order to take it away for the purpose of punishment. That's not the motive that God has here. God gives, in this case, the plant, and God gives vines, different things in our lives, things that bring comfort to us and things which we take joy and pleasure, things that we might even rightly acknowledge are gifts that come from God. And then sometimes they go away, not because he's punishing us, but because he's wanting to expose the reality of our hearts. He's wanting us to see ourselves and that we have this tendency to take our joy and our comfort, not in God, but from the things that we have. So we take our eyes off of God and we, like the providence, we're just uh, indifferent at times. 
about the one who is the giver of these things. And the problem is not the gifts and the things that God gives, and it's not that you know he's saying you can't handle this. It's that God understands that we will only be our most fulfilled, we will find our most joy when we are directly communing with him and when we recognize that every blessing we have is an expression of his love and comes from his hand. When we get so preoccupied on the things that we have, whether they're tangible things, whether they are relational things, whether they're emotional things, the things that bring us the comfort and the joy, and we get so occupied on those we, and we are ignoring God, even if we're paying lip service, acknowledging these things came, when they become the priorities of our lives, then our joy is stunted. Our potential is stunted. We are not what we can be. We are not what God has created us to be. And in situations like this, and this is the way that God works, is that he will provide, but he will remove, not to bring punishment because we you know, disobeyed necessarily, but because he wants us to come to recognize that we have become so attached to the idea of comfort that we are willing to rest in that moment and not be what he's created us to be, that we are willing to rest with these things, thinking that these are just blessings that we are favored, but not be the agents and the instruments that bless others and through which we find our greatest fulfillment. And so God sometimes will appoint trials as an expression of his love. And we tend to get annoyed and we tend to get you know, angry with God. What we need to recognize is that these are things that God is irritating us, usually always for our own good and usually for our protection. I remember reading some time ago a story of two lumberjacks who were uh, sent to a particular part of the forest knowing that they needed to clear all the trees in, in just two weeks. But when they got there, they found that there was a, a, a mother bird of a, a, a species that was um, on the extinct uh, list or in danger to be extinct that are beginning to build a, beginning, a nest in one of the trees. And so the two lumberjacks, uh, they, they, you know, knowing both the law and not wanting to um, do anything that was going to be detrimental to, uh, to uh, this bird, they, they didn't want the, the mother bird to get hurt, they didn't want her, her children to get killed. And so what they did is that uh, for a couple of days, they would take the, the flat part of their axe and they would pound it on the tree. Rather than chopping the tree down, they took the flat part of the axe and they just kept pounding on the tree and then it would vibrate and it was quite irritating to the mother bird. And the mother bird would squawk and would jump and a couple of times the bird would come down and sort of kind of swoop and, and attack and, and, and because it was annoying. The mother bird had chosen that tree because it would bring peace, it would bring security, it would bring safety to, uh, to, to the family. And yet these trees were going to be coming down. And day after day, the lumberjacks would go and they would pound the thing until finally the mother bird, you know, frustrated, picked up the chicks and flew and hid in the rocks and created a nest in the rocks. Well, God does it in our lives. There are things that we tend to, to cling to, but when we are clinging too tightly to the things and rather than just trusting, truly trusting in the Lord, we are in danger of getting hurt, in danger of danger. 
And what the Lord will do is he does things to annoy us. And the number one thing is to remove some of the things that we are trusting in. But he does it in order to move us from the trusting of that into a place of safety, a place where we're able to flourish. We see this illustrated in Jonah. And then the Lord engages him in a series of questions. The Lord already knows the answer to them, but he's wanting to Jonah to see himself. Because he knows that, the Lord knows it's only when Jonah sees himself, when he sees his need, when he sees that he is as needy as the people that he's frustrated with, that he's open to experiencing God's love in his fullness, to experience comfort and transformation at a, at a deeper level. And one of the things that we need to take away from this is, is that for every one of us, we need to recognize this, that it's possible that the reason that we're agitated with whatever's going on in our lives, the reason that we are troubled, the reason that we may be struggling is because God is shaking your tree or is removing something but not as an expression of punishment, but expression of his love. He provides for us in order to bring comfort, but he is our ultimate comfort. When he removes those things, it's not so that we won't have comfort, but that we will find that we get the true comfort, which is always found in him. And so I see in these, this last chapter two very important principles. God has a love for the nations, which is actually good news for us because most of us, our heritage was the nations, at least at this point. We didn't come from the Jewish backgrounds, and so therefore we were the missionary entities. We were the beneficiaries of that. But God has that love for the nations. God also has a love for his people. And God's plan is to use his people to reach the nations, and yet he brings, we have, find the most fulfillment when we are being used by God in the way that he's created us to be used. But in order for that to happen, God brings transformation into our lives. And we see here a beautiful picture of what God is doing and what he's invited you into. Several weeks ago, I said that God never brings in without also sending out. He never brings somebody into his family, never brings somebody into, in, into his communion without sending them out. But in order to send us out and to make us useful, he brings transformation. And it's also in the being sent out that we find us coming to the end of ourselves. We find our own need. We find that, that we are as much in need of grace as as the people that we think that we're serving. And I think the Lord is here reminding us today that those he calls, he is at work in. And that doesn't end. That many of our frustrations, many of our disappointments, even sometimes our anger is because we, we don't like what God is doing we want, uh, in us because we don't like what God is going to do through us. We want the comfort 
We don't want the purity. But because God is love, and because he loves you, he won't leave us there. I look at the story, and this is a, a, a call to humility, to recognize our own need. It's a call to trust. Jonah doesn't really understand what God is doing. He knows some of the plans. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand the heart of God. And the only way he's going to understand more of the heart of God is to see what God is doing and why. But it's only when he sees that God's love for people who are clearly, in Jonah's estimation, unworthy, is he going to experience the depth of love as well? Because how will he deal with himself when he sees his own unworthiness? It's a story that is constantly calling to us to trust God and to see what he's doing. It's a story that should bring comfort as well as challenge. It's a story that brings transformation. And my prayer is that as you consider it, you will not rest in what God has already provided. But you will hunger for a deeper transformation. That you will be able to say to the Lord, here I am, Lord. Change me. Use me. That your name would be glorified among the nations. Father, we pray the story would not be one that we sentimentalize. That it's not a story that we would merely moralize. But it's one that we would see your love being poured out upon an individual and through that individual. And I pray that you would remind us that we are the recipients of grace as much as here, the Assyrians, as Jonah. We are in constant need of that grace that brings us comfort, but then brings transformation. And that we would know how our experience is an expression of your love and know that your love is not limited to us. Father, help us to know that it is as we are all submissive to you that we find our greatest purpose fulfilled. Lord, open us, use us, transform us, that we might have the joy that you intend for us. This I pray in Christ. Amen.